Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center, part of the University of Texas at Austin. This podcast brought to you by the Friends of TAC. Scientists have used supercomputers to find what they say is the best evidence yet that a plant's genes, sensitive to cold and drought, will help it adapt to changes in its environment. What they studied in plants was gene expression, instructions coded in DNA that regulate how many proteins it makes. Gene expression gives rise to traits such as tolerance of cold or drought, and it can evolve through natural selection to help a plant cope with environments out of its comfort zone. The results of the computational biology study were published in the journal Molecular Biology and Evolution in September of 2014. In it, scientists studied the flowering mustard weed Arabidopsis thaliana, known as a model plant, in part because it has one of the smallest genomes, which was completely sequenced in year 2000. The science team first took Arabidopsis genes found in the lab from a prior study that responded to cold and drought. They then compared those to reference genomic data from over a thousand strains collected throughout Europe and Asia. Finding associations was like finding a needle in a haystack. And to do that, they enlisted the help of the iPlant Collaborative, and they used the Ranger and Lone Star supercomputers of the Texas Advanced Computing Center. The study was co-authored by Thomas Younger, a faculty member in the Department of Integrated Biology of the University of Texas at Austin. Here's more with Thomas Younger. We've worked with the Arabidopsis thaliana for well, a good decade now. Uh, it's one of the model plants that um, plant biologists study. Uh, we work on a lot of genomic uh, and genetic questions, and we're really interested in trying to understand how the plant copes with environmental stresses like drought or cold or freezing temperatures. So most plant biologists, uh, when they're interested in genetic variation, they'll often knock out or overexpress a gene using genetic engineering techniques. And one of the key themes in our lab is actually to study natural variation in genes. So we tend to go out and collect plants from nature and we want to understand how they've evolved uh, in response to natural processes of natural selection and gene flow and mutation in the field. So Arabidopsis thaliana occurs really uh, in a widespread distribution across the world. It um, occurs as far north as Scandinavia and south into North Africa and throughout Central Asia. And one of the ideas is the plant has had to evolve over time to cope with all those different environmental conditions. And so we basically want to find the genes that allow the plant to cope with those complex, difficult environmental conditions. And that's a really valuable goal because if we can understand how the plants have naturally evolved these tolerances to environmental stresses, then we might actually be able to understand how we could manipulate or improve plants for crops in an agricultural setting. Speak a little bit more about why scientists, there are thousands of scientists all over the world who study this plant. Um, it's been described as like a Lad, the lab rat of uh, plants. Um, yeah, so one great thing about Arabidopsis thaliana is it is the model system, so there's a huge community of researchers working with it. And as we build new tools and learn new pieces of information, it's really standing on the shoulders of, of years and years of research. So in our case, one of the main things that the project that we published in Molecular Biology and Evolution really focuses on um, genetic polymorphism data that the community has identified in natural uh, accessions from around the world. And our project basically focused on asking whether that variation is correlated with climatic patterns. And our hypothesis was that given these uh, natural accessions have evolved, 
to cope with environmental stresses, we'd see allele frequency changes in genes that would be associated with climate. And that would help us to identify candidate genes that might underlie characteristics like drought tolerance or freezing tolerance. And so our work is computational biology, really using resources that were generated by the community. What is an allele difference in a gene? Uh, so if you look at DNA sequence, uh, there are four possible nucleotide variants at any position in the genome, uh, ATCs and Gs. And some of those changes in the genome can result in amino acid changes that would change protein function, for example. Um, other um, uh, polymorphisms, uh, changes in ATCs and Gs might relate to expression differences, for example, for a gene. Would you tie this into the larger picture of your research? Well, so plants have a really uh, interesting um, challenge in that they're rooted and can't move around to pick their environment. So they're stuck in a single place that through the day or through the season, temperatures change, uh, soil moisture changes, uh, insect herbivores might attack them. So plants have had to evolve a variety of different strategies to cope with both the abiotic and biotic environment. And certainly one of the um, strategies they've taken is to have um, inducible gene expression. So as a plant starts to sense dropping temperatures, a cascade of gene expression can allow the plant to acclimatize to cold temperatures and in effect prepare itself for the coming freezing conditions. And so it's for a number of years we've um, really centered on looking at how gene expression variation might underlie adaptation to these environmental stresses. Is this research tied in also to climate change? Sure. I mean, we're certainly very interested in climate change and how organisms have evolved to past climate change and how understanding that might help us understand how in the future plants will evolve in response to climate change or how we might want to breed plants and animals for future conditions. Yeah, I think it's a really um, important topic right now uh, from an applied perspective. Um, so recently, we've actually extended this work to a crop plant. We've been doing a very similar project with sorghum, a very important grain crop uh, throughout Africa and, and India and parts of Asia. Uh, in that case, we looked at SNP variation in sorghum accessions and asked, were there SNPs that were associated with conditions like precipitation? And we used that to make predictions about how accessions might perform under stress. And then we've actually done experiments in Austin where we've manipulated rainfall uh, using rainout experiments um, and actually tested those hypotheses. So we're hoping this approach could be a way to improve breeding in the future, to speed breeding, uh, in, in part to breed plants to cope or be resilient to climate variation in the future. And would you tell us more about how this experiment was done uh, with, with these plants? So one of the things we've been really interested in is taking a computational biology approach to set up hypotheses about genes that might be important, and then actually compare those hypotheses with lab experiments. And so we've been studying uh, Arabidopsis in the lab for a number of years, exposing plants to cold or drought stress and asking how they respond at a physiological level and also in the context of their gene expression. So one of the key aspects of this project was trying to link different data sets to narrow down to a smaller number of candidate genes that we might be interested in studying in detail. 
So the graduate student who led this work, Jesse Lasky, basically looked across the genome of a Arabidopsis and found pieces of DNA that were associated with climatic variation, like precipitation or minimum winter temperatures. And in a way, that was one set of hypotheses. And then he compared that with lab experiments that asked which genes were responsive to drought in terms of their expression, which genes were responsive to cold or freezing temperatures uh, in terms of their expression, and then in a sense looked at the join of those two different data sets. Um, and then those, uh, that join uh, identifies some interesting candidate genes. Give us a sense of the scope of the data that you looked at. Yeah, so I mean this is a fundamental challenge in biology. There are tens of thousands of genes in a genome. In Arabidopsis there's well over 25,000 genes. And we're interested in traits like drought tolerance or, or freezing tolerance that might be impacted by many, many, many genes. And so it's sort of a needle in a haystack problem. We're looking through tens of thousands of genes to find the ones, the, the small few number that might actually matter. Um, so in this case, uh, the data set really was focused on the entire genome uh, and SNP polymorphisms that occur across the genome and you know, narrowing down to thousands of genes rather than tens of thousands of genes. How do you do that? How do you narrow this down? Uh, I mean, one way you can think of it in a, a statistical perspective of whether you have prior information or how you might join information from different data sets uh, to improve your power to statistically test for effects. Uh, would you speak more to uh, the computational challenges of this problem yeah, so a fundamental idea here is to look for associations between genetic polymorphism and traits or climatic variables. And you know, how do we statistically test for those associations? Well, a really nice formal way of testing for them is to make the null hypothesis, which in this case would be no association. The way we do that is by shuffling the data and doing permutation testing. So we basically can randomize climatic variation with respect to SNP polymorphism variation and do that thousands and thousands of times and ask what sort of test statistic might we observe by chance alone. And then we can compare that to our real empirical data. And that's a very robust way to test for statistical associations. So in this case, we're dealing with thousands of accessions and hundreds of thousands of SNPs that we're having to do permutation testing on. So um, really impossible to do this on a standard desktop computer and really requiring some of the throughput that we can have on uh, a cluster like Ranger or Lone Star. Could you tell us about the resources that you used at TAC? Yeah, I mean, they were really critical in the sense that we really couldn't have run our statistical analyses on any of the resources we have on our desktops in the lab. So the computational time on uh, the clusters at TAC really allowed us to, you know, um, evaluate the hypotheses that we've generated from the SNP data. They required a, a fairly large number of SUs that were really critical uh, to the analysis. We mostly um, do these analyses in a statistical software package called R. And R has been uh, sort of well integrated into the um, TAC uh, cluster systems. Uh, and I know my graduate students and postdocs have interacted a lot with TAC staff to learn about using R um, on the clusters. And I 
believe some of them have even attended some classes um, from TAC or also on campus at UT, sort of trying to facilitate the use of R through TAC. Tell us about any collaboration that you might have had with iPlant. Sure. You know, iPlant is a, a large uh, NSF-funded program really to help biologists like me, plant biologists, who are starting to move into using computational resources. This has especially been driven by this boom in new genome sequencing techniques and the generation of the type of SNP data that we've been studying. And so uh, iPlant, uh, associated with TAC, has certainly been developing lots of new tools, uh, simplifying computational tools for biologists and giving us access to data storage, uh, as well as SUs uh, through high-performance computing clusters like those at TAC. So a real, uh, I think, helpful, timely uh, program that's impacting plant biologists you know, in individual labs around the country. What's next for this research? Yeah, I think a real exciting uh, way to view this type of computational biology is that it generates a whole series of hypotheses that then we might lead to new research and experiments to test. Um, so as an example, we've generated lists of candidate genes that we think might be predictive of tolerance to stresses. Well, now we can very easily go and do experimental manipulations to actually test those hypotheses. Uh, we can move to using uh, molecular biology techniques to knock out some of those candidate genes and un better understand their function, or use transgenic manipulations to actually change allelic variants and test their role in different stress responses. So in a way, this type of computational biology sets up another five or 10 years of, of research that will happen in the lab. So really core papers that lay a groundwork for long-term future efforts. What's the most important thing that you want people to know about this research? I think a real exciting uh, aspect of our research is the notion of using natural populations and evolutionary uh, dynamics and processes to understand plant function. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity there to find novel genes and interesting solutions to problems that you know humans may not be able to um, a priori come up with hypotheses of how to manipulate a gene to improve function. Well, an interesting idea is to have let evolution given us some ideas of how we might do that. Yeah, so an interesting idea is uh, a classic approach would be a molecular biologist might come up with uh, an a priori hypothesis about what a gene might do and then knock it out or overexpress that gene to try to better understand it and then use creativity um, based on molecular biology to manipulate that gene to improve plant function. But we really need to understand how plants work to be able to do that. Uh, and often it's hard to know what would be the right protein under a particular environmental context that would actually improve yield or performance. Well, you know, an interesting idea is that this has been a problem that's face natural populations of plants for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, and there have been large populations that have experienced selection, that have evolved to solve these problems. So if we can go find the genes that solve those problems and understand what they do, then we may be able to take those alleles or understand how those alleles, those genes function, and actually use those to inform our ability to manipulate plants using molecular biology. You've been listening to Thomas Younger of the University of Texas at Austin. 
for the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.